Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. He's a returning guest to this podcast and a good friend, I dare say, of this podcast. You're for a good time today because today we are going to discuss History Channel and how not to record history. And I guess none of us will be working for a History Channel anytime soon after this. <laughs> so what is it about History Channel that made them so famous and how everyone heard of the ancient aliens, finding Hitler, shows like Finding Hitler and etc. What is it about this channel that's just kind of attractive, but you still want to watch it for memes, but in, what, what is it about them? There was, not too long ago, a, a documentary on the, a, a channel, a documentary on a documentary uh, on the History Channel going back into the 90s when it, um, it started up as a little more of a, um, you know, what it was, you know, actual, you know, some places. Remember cable, when cable started, it's like TV when it first started. You were trying to find, sto- you know, programs everywhere. And all of a sudden, you've got 24 hours a day to fill in programs. And, you know, you find the niches. So history's a wonderful niche. And, um, and I think they, you know, when it, between its, um, whoever managed History Channel, whatever cable network, you know, it would evolve when it would go through those, um, those buyouts and whoever was the CEO and their interests would show up. Uh, if you remember, do you remember when the, um, uh, this, um, reality TV first came in? Yeah. Um, I think all TV took a dive <laughs> at that moment. I think everything <laughs> kind of, you know, I think a great rot uh, seemed to occur within the airwaves. Suddenly, yeah. as reality, not reality TV came in, and it became kind of a voyeuristic experience where they kind of watch these people, you know, there, and that though it's not scripted, it's planned, you know, it's not, this is not really, you know, they're not really out in the wilderness, you know, hanging out there. And I, you know, even um, PBS, uh, Public Broadcasting, played that they had a um, pilgrim house and they had, you know, reality TV like that, and it's awful, awful because. The historian looks at that and he goes, oh, dear me, you cannot go back in time because you're not there. You're, you don't have the mindset. You, know, you might be, you know, you might be able to play pilgrim and, you know, cut wood and, and farm and process food and learn to do that. But you are never going to be a pilgrim. You do not have those, those mindsets. You are not the, you know, religious nature that they had. Um, you have not the baggage they had. So stop, you know. Uh, it's pretty kind of, you know, it's pretty frustrating the historian history channel kind of personified that shift from um, documentaries with the turn of, you know, either they would replay old documentaries, which are nice, and they're pretty good. Um, 
uh, as well as making some new ones, getting some money to actually develop some new ones that, um, that are that would be popular, popular themes. So what would be the biggest difference between the History Channel and National, National Geographic Channel? Ah. Uh, well, um, somebody asked me about subscribing to magazines, and I, you know, and they're all popular magazines. I said, for me, Smithsonian and National Geographic are pops magazines. Okay, that, that I consider that that's as low as I'll go. You know, <laughs> I don't even bother with, you know, with Star. <laughs> you don't even think about that. That that out. Um, I, I think what it is, there is um, a range of what is history. And we'll start out with academic history. Okay, this is stuff you, you know, and traditionally it's a little unfair, sometimes it is fair, that history departments would be very isolated, insular, and they would do research for 12 people, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there are themes in the classics or in American history, any others where um, they're, because as a doctorate student, you're having to do something that is new. That's one of the, that's kind of one of the flaws. It has to be completely new, never done before. Well, you know, for example, when I got assigned Lincoln, I almost cried. I said, oh, dear Lord, you would have no idea what you're asking me. Mm. You know, you know how you could do it. And, and so you come up with some ever narrower fields that are so utterly specialized as to attract no interest at all, you know, or, or to be so particular that it's hard to relate to anything else. So academic history had a problem, particularly even back decades ago. Um, but next to that, when you have what's called public history, and this is, um, it's a wide range of histories there. This could be like, like a Dr. Joanne Friedman or uh, Dr. Heather Cox Richardson. We're going on podcasts and doing talks, very casual talks, using history as a way of engaging people on politics or social changes. You know, what is the historical background behind immigration reform? What is the background behind, you know, so that's, and that's a, that's a type of public history. It's not meant for the scholars. It's meant for others. You know, it's meant for the person um, who's just interested in the news. And here's this historian acting as a reporter. Yeah. Um, then you could also become, it's more than maybe the patriotic history or the celebratory history. Maybe a little more of that one. But once you pass public history, you get down into heritage. Heritage is a very emotional history past. And it's my personal past. It's how I want to remember either my state, my country, my family. It's very personal, uh, my heritage kind of aspect. That aspect. Um, so it gets, a, you know, it gets from public to popular, very popular. And then all the way down to propaganda, which means this is basically, um, uh, it's produced to get to direct you to think a certain way. Yeah. It may or may not, in fact, it's likely not to be accurate. In fact, it's probably going to be inaccurate, but only accurate enough so you can't spot the inaccuracies. Uh, lost cause histories are like this. Uh, I, I, I cringe when I, um, you know, and I, I really don't like the iconoclasm we see in our country, the, all those statues coming down. Um, I don't like that because uh, some historians have said, once you start this, you can't stop it. It means all, it means you'll never, you know, it's, it, you kind of throw off all statues at once. It's like the late Roman, um, the Byzantine iconoclasm, you know, you destroy all the icons, you kind of, you go overboard. No one ever measures this out very well. That's kind of the nature of humanity. We get on a move, we get on a kick, and we can't pull it back. 
we're, we're just going to blow it out. History Channel, I, I remember the, that's my personal history there. So this is, this is my personal heritage <laughs> <laughs> on, on the History Channel. Um, used to, rarely had, did I have TV, but I- Yeah, what I want to ask fun. you about that <laughs> before you continue, because they didn't, how did it begin? Did it, it begin like conspiracy theorists? Or did it, no, well, yeah. it, it had documentaries, but remember, what, what's popular? And in the 90s, you know, you, you, people would do broad, like I, I was on their, their survey list back around 2006 and eight. And they surveyed me regularly. Um, so I got, a, got an idea what they're looking for. But I think what they're after, they were having a documentary station, something that would, de- that would dedicate to documentaries. And that would also be a producer for new ones. But documentaries have one drawback. They're popular history. That's not, not so much public because they're not really part of a, uh, a nonprofit group. You know, museums that doing this. Um, so they don't really have a target. So they got to make it very popular. Like I talked years ago or months ago, I talked about Dime Museum. And, uh, this has to make it money. So it's got to be topics that people are going to click on or yeah. they're going to turn to. And when we got to the 90s, the World War II vets are now old. Right? They were getting old. And uh, their kids... They needed an update. You needed an update. And so you have a lot of people at the very end doing oral histories. Finally, you know, we, we, we kind of missed the boat in World War I, but they were determined that all these men and women who had served in the various types of services in the Second World War are going to be heard. And of course, Nazism has, has been a popular, um, to use a modern term, clickbait, long before there was a clickbait. <laughs> yeah. Long ago, because it, it, is, it, it was in our popular memory. Um, my mother's age, you know, remember the propaganda coming out of the 40s um, on, on the Nazi machines for Japanese. Uh, um, it is more pop. The Nazism is more popular as far as a popular history than the, the Pacific Theater for some reason. I'm not sure why. Because um, I love the Pacific Theater. So like my, mm-hmm. If I was in the World War II, that's the theater we were looking into. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know PT boats and whatnot. I love that. However, I think. Um, the History Channel was seeking just for that. They were eager to pick up on um, on that market. Uh, it was this, 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 when they were being bought and rearranged, the CEO changed. At the same time, you see this movement toward, um, oh goodness, um, um, reality TV. This takes off. And you have all these takes on reality TV. Not just Lost, you know, remember that one. Um, another other types like this, or Big Brother. Big Brother was, no, that was one of the early ones. Um, Boat You Out of the House, or Boat You Off the Island. Um, you know, so you have all these very, and I think, like, well, that's just bizarre. And then around 2006, is when I really noticed the shift. Now, again, popular history, because people who like, History often guides my age, and frankly, we're not, you know, like my dad and others, you know, are not, we're not that well educated, did not take a lot of history. Um, they like history. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because. And I suppose the internet wasn't as huge as it is now. I mean, no, no, no. Well, sources has, that you have. Yeah, well, you know, the internet is real, this is very fast. Um, I mean, uh, I, my first job where I had to use a computer at all, PC was in 1992. 
Before that, I didn't even have access to a PC on my desk. And that's not that, that long ago in the big scheme of things. This was somebody my age, just not that long ago. <laughs> you are gonna, you know, and each so so all of a sudden our generations are in 10-year increments, you know. You yeah. know, we're literally looking at 10-year gaps, and all of a sudden somebody 10 years younger than you, the whole other generation. Oh. My granddaughter Edie is almost five, and she is a digital native. She can flick a, a touch screen with the best of them. Yeah. She could do it since she was two and a half, three years old. She could do it. My wife still can't do it. You know, <laughs> don't don't tell her I said that. We weren't yeah. on the phone. We weren't on the phone until we were like, us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We weren't allowed on phone until we were like nine or ten back in the day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you, you don't have that. So anyway, History Channel, um, going back to that theme, they're still trying to have popular pieces and people to, to tune in. So the themes would be what you know, what if you look at what what sells in the big in the bookstores when they're still books often. Not World War Two military history is always great. The guys, um, elements of the classics, the Spartans are big. You know, television, that's always been a popular theme. The Roman, the Roman legions, you know, what sticks in your mind when you think of the ancient world? I think of Greeks, I think of Romans. Yeah. I think of Sparta, you know, if they know it all, that's the pickup. Or they pick up on the Iliad and the Odyssey. So you might see these pieces. You might also have replays of a lot of older movies that played with those things. Um, and so, you know, you know, like any other broadcast, they're playing with ideas that might work. Um, and with the, when, I, when I did a survey, they reminded me of a boss I had, or a supervisor I had years ago at a museum. It was a big culture. It was not a real museum. It was, but it was not, okay? The museum was really a gigantic shopping center mm. you know, um, with many buildings and places in it. Um, it had tours and old, and old buildings, but that didn't mean anything. It was the shopping and the dining that they were after. And um, my boss, he commented, I was a VP, he was the president, he, the comment he made, and I don't want to give it away, but he looked at our subject and said, oh, that is so boring. That is so utterly boring. Let's do, and he would say something else completely and utterly off the wall. I go, are you drunk? Which didn't set me in well with him at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I got a little more blunt, you know, I says, you're a plane. Of course, he could look at my face and knew I was saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> My face said it all. I can never play poker. You know, yeah. <laughs> he knew. I said, no, that's, you know, and I think when I looked at History Channel surveys, it was kind of like that, that they saw um, if it, there wasn't something sensational. And I think what happens with a lot of, see, other newscasts are the same thing. You look at um, magazines and journalism as a whole went this way because um, it becomes so commodified, so quickly commercial or I, or ideas of commercial is does it turn over a profit last week you know I mean I want it immediately not sooner um, and so you, you know they're looking for themes that will grab your attention and magazines like the star or you know the, the, the tabloids for example would hit absurd things just stupid off the wall things you fly out and I think that's what's happened in all journalism so you don't have that many actual journalists to become good at politics. They become good at account or you know banking. They become good at you know they can't really investigate 
bank fraud or an investment scam because they really don't know how that works. They're not yeah. that deep into it. Same way with politics. You know, the you know, journalists try to become good at politics, but they don't have the history, certainly don't have a history back for the context. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're seeing that these important folks, and they could be good, I suppose, they're, if they actually had the time to develop those skills and specialize in it. That's why your sports broadcasters were sports celebrities or had been in sports themselves. They knew what was going on in the, in the locker room after that really bad play. You know, They would kind of know these things. So History Channel kind of leaves, you know, long with versus journalism, I think leaves, you know, leaves, you know, specializes, specializers or specialists behind and kind of, you know, goes to the, um, the eye candy. What is going to get the interest fast and once you cross the line, and like I, 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 I told my students when you talk about museums or commercial, commercializing museums, um, it says it's a you don't know where the line really is sometimes. You kind of because you, you're in fish in America, you have to make some profit. You cannot just um, break even. You have to get above breaking even, or you're going to collapse. You know, you'll, yeah. you'll be eaten. So you really work toward that. But the line comes up. But you know, if we did this. You know, if we did six more weddings this a month, you know, at our historic site, you know, we'll say, yeah, but you will kill your curatorial staff. Your gardening people will shoot you, you know. Um, or are you going to wreck these historic gardens? Uh, I know some sites that did that too. You know, you know, there are all sorts of things that you have to be careful of. You have to consider how far do you want to go with this, you know. And many people don't want to, you know, take that time to evaluate all right, I need to make a profit, but is this going to violate who we're supposed to be? We've advertised it for, it's been decades. I've, historians, were, you know, jokingly want to sue History Channel for, you know, uh, false advertising mm. because it's, you know, and I think, I think what really started hitting even before, maybe even before we had on the TV, although maybe at the same time, was, you know, the ancient aliens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know, of course, I we think, don't need to talk about that. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and I think that one, just rattled people up um and I, and but that's but that's not just history channel um i'll go back further i don't remember sun pictures no they were producers from back in the 70s they were awful <laughs> they were ghastly. um and at what they did uh, they did noah's ark one i remember that that at mid-track years ago but they also did a lincoln one now my own museum we saved video clips from it and we had the book from it and we canned that thing regularly because it was awful they did this link in picture and it's all based on conspiracies now in the 70s this is still you know you're 40 plus years behind you know back to now but lincoln assassination was a well-known commodity there had been some good scholars um in the earlier 20th century who did phenomenal work on the assassination issues um, there is no doubt, yes, it is Booth, yes, it is him, you know, he did it here with this, you know, the game of Clue is not necessary, we know he, he did it in the, you know, in the box. It's not like the JFK assassination. Yeah, 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 there isn't one. Uh, JFK, now, JFK is more fun because, one, it's more recent, there is more of a mystery because um, there is so much going on during the Cold War. Yeah. And Kennedy is a very colorful character um, in that he is 
not an honest man. He is, you know, he has all sorts of skeletons in his closet. No matter what you you like the age of policies or not, there are problematic pieces with Kennedy. So you kind of wonder, all right, how much was behind this one? And I, there was a teacher who was a friend of mine, taught high school actually yesterday. He would do two different days on Kennedy. Yeah. And he would one day teach straight from the Warren Report and kind of do a straight line piece. Then he would dip over to the cons- sometimes conspiracy because he wanted to expose them to conspiracies, but also some of the other more the, 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 the darker sides of what was going on in the Cold War. And it got the students to realize that there's confusion and complexity in this. It is not, and it, it, that's the only message he's trying to get across to his students, young students. And I, I, I admired him for this, if nothing else, was that you really needed to know that history is tremendously complex, that, there are, that our age is no more complex than that time period for them. And if I, and, and I think what in the History Channel and a lot of documentaries, you know, simple ones would do, is you would get this feeling that this was simple and resolved. So one yeah. of the problems with even the format sometimes, I think, uh, is that you would think that, well, this is over. The, you, know, it, you know, it's a hard, tragic ending, but it's over. Well, it never really ends. You know, the Titanic, for example, the movie, the, the documentaries, uh, you know, there were a long time when that was in the minds of many people when they traveled. It was in the minds of many people when they designed the ships. It was in the minds of many people who were insurance companies, you know, <laughs> who were insuring those ships. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of issues on top of that. Like policy issues, uh, people writing about it. So, you know, it's not just one simple thing. So you get into more complex events like World War II, but, you know, that's a popular piece. It's a horribly complex mess. You don't get yourself into that kind of mess without a lot of time and people involved in it. Yeah. Um, and there are multiple sides. You know, yes, I am very pro-American in that particular war because I think America did play a tremendously valuable part. Although I like the British joke, late to the party again, you know, yeah. <laughs> always late to the party. <laughs> I love that. I have family still over there. There's such a wonderfully dry sense of humor that I thoroughly enjoy. You're late to the party again, aren't you, Yankee? You know, <laughs> I'm glad you got here. You know, yeah. but I think you know it's a complex piece. Okay, what what was our fault? I mean, you know, no one's un, no one's innocent. You know, there were policies going back 30, 40, 50 years before this. Uh, very clearly, the Treaty of Versailles. Is involved in the start of World War II, um, and I think those kind of shows would have been hard for History Channel to sell because it's how do you tell that kind of narrative and be dynamic about it? Yeah. The so History Channel there, and I, and I don't want to fold them too much, although I, I do. <laughs> uh, is that it's really hard to tell a nuanced tale. No one wants to hear. A, you know, uh, the six sides to an event. You kind of have to, um, you have to, you have to squeeze it down in time, and you got to make the voices scream at you a little bit more. Mm. Um, 
there was when the uh, Lincoln Museum in Springfield opened up, they had a neat video, which I liked. Others didn't. I liked it. It portrayed the 19, uh, 1860 um, election as if it was by CNN. Mm. And it was broadcasting. With it. They had um, the lecture returns throughout the night. It was, it was really funny. But it started out... Um, you know, it isn't like a normal broadcast, but they got regular broadcasts to do the work. And then somebody I else did one. That. Yeah, somebody else did one on the election. This is also YouTube, but I know you love YouTube like I do. Hmm. Um, they, the election of 1800, and it starts off with former President Obama regretting the harshness of campaigns in that age, his age. And then it's said, well, let me show you a really nasty campaign. And then it, it goes again, like a live broadcast of what Jefferson and Adams people said about the, uh, their, their rivals. Mm. And you realize, oh, these guys are really out for blood and they're lying through their teeth. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. You have, but you have to have drama. It's like, you know, again, I go back to the museum, my museum you know, origins in storytelling. And most historians were not that good at storytelling. <laughs> you know, I mean, we we're taught, you know, if you started out young enough and you're, you're perverted forever afterwards into the academic model, you may never be able to tell a decent story in your life. You know, you have to be able to tell a fun story, which means I've got to condense down a lot of the points. I've got to maybe up. adjust the story a little bit as well. What's that? Maybe just adjust the story The adjustments, because that's the interpretation, because I have to make it understandable um, to that group. I, may, I have to be careful to, if there is a joke like Lincoln tells, I've got to set it up. But I need to do it quickly. I don't have a lot of time to realize people, you know, just to interpret Lincoln's joke, you know, it's the worst thing in the world to explain a joke. You've lost the joke, you know, it's got to be explained. So it needs set up, like make famous Jack Benny work, you know. Uh, you have to, you know, somehow get the context and then hit him with the, with the punchline. Um, it's really, uh, it's an art. And this is where history has to have really dynamic art, storytelling art. History Channel took the cheap way out. Like, most, most, I mean, uh, what was it? I can't remember who you asked me this. I can't remember who it was. Um, but Hollywood, to use our own um, movie world, does not deliberately go out of its way to make classics. Classics are made constructed by accident. Yeah. Um, they're, they're making a profit. They want a movie to make a profit now. They're not after great art. That's the Sundance movie film, but the film festival is for that. But you want that, that should be good for that one. Once in a while, you get, oh my goodness. Like, I love Brother Where Out Thou. I love that one. Fantastic movie. Yeah, it was great. I'm not sure if they knew that it was going to be good. I think it got past the people who normally mm. would not like, you know, it worked. It I'm worked. not sure how many people understood the Robert Johnson reference either. Maybe not, yeah. Um, it did, well, I'll pick it up. Um, you know, it was afterwards that somebody mentioned it. Oh crap! Why didn't I see that then? I watched over, you know. Oh, there it is. Okay, ha, you know. Yeah. It was just, you know, and that's what makes a movie fun. And uh, and and a lot of don't have classics down there yet, or Shakespeare. Um, uh, you know, those are famous 
people to spoof on. Um, both the Odyssey, the Iliad, um, and Shakespeare um, are all fair game for great movies because you're playing with the themes. Yeah. You don't you don't do it. You just play with the theme. You kind of toy with the theme. Good. That's good storytelling. History is it kind of like it, and, and I wouldn't mind playing with that one. Um, doing drama is always helpful, but um, getting nuance is tough though. That one is a very tough. I think if if you could almost just help them grasp, it's there. That there is actually layers beyond this. Um, you know, it's not a simple one, one, one simple story. And that history is never, never just telling uh, one, one thing after another. It's one fact after another. No, it's not. Chronology is not our only issue. We look at contingency. We look at, we look at what things impact other things. We're looking at the causation. What are some of the causes and levels of causation? The complexity of this. All these things have to be, you know, brought into play here because um, you, you, you'll miss that. You'll miss what's going on. You, you'll settle for a simple answer when you really need to be going deeper. And I think when you catch that, <clears throat> then I, even the chaos we see in our age may not seem quite so endless. Mm. You realize at some point maybe it's going to be held. Um, although there was also the fear that, you know, at other times it wasn't, you know, and things really went south bad really quick. So um, where does History Channel take off? Like, well, how does it become massively popular? Is it because of ancient aliens or was it popular I, before? No, I, I think the shows that hit, and I, I know ancient aliens is kind of fun with a certain luster. I don't know why you would watch it. Um, people I know who watch it like watching spooky things. Um, <laughs> my... My youngest daughter and I love watching really awful cheesy movies. Mm. Movies we know are horrible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, like the old Mystery Science Theater three thousand. We love watching the worst, the better. You know, uh, Santa Claus versus Satan. Um, you know, we just love those kind of really ghastly, awful movies. You cannot believe it was were ever made and somehow survived. You know, to this day. And I think. Ancient Aliens falls in line with that one. But there are a lot of folks in my family included, um, who shall remain nameless, who, who believe in the conspiracies of all sorts. There is something beyond their control. And I think that's a human fear. Americans, though, are particularly vulnerable, more than I think Europeans or Asians to this. Somehow within our culture, we have a widespread instinct to believe that there is something deep and dark planning and plotting against us. That there is somebody out there intending us harm. Now, like my sister-in-law said, just because some, um, just because you're, you know, someone is indeed trying to kill you, does not mean you're not paranoid. <laughs> you know, you might still be paranoid, but you have reason. Um, but the two are unrelated. You know, yeah, we might have, cons you know, conspiracies against us, but that doesn't excuse us from being paranoid. Um, so I think that is something in American culture. That is, and I, I don't know so much of your kids have it. Um, it tends to show up in a very right wing environment, but I think left wings are also vulnerable. You know, when, when you're at the when you're at the ends, when you're at the wings of the political spectrum, 
I think both the wings would tend to be vulnerable toward um, conspiracy messages. I think it's, it, it, it just makes you more likely to suck in um, a line like that. But I think um, what I think got them going is uh, things like pawnbrokers, pickers, because I even end up watching those. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was having to travel when my last museum job a lot. And so I was in the hotels and that was my go-to. Um, but then I realized, I'm getting so sick of this concert, really, mm -hmm. you know, because I watch people bringing artifacts. I go, no, you idiot. And, you know, and I realized, oh, why am I watching this? I remember one time I got so bored, I watched C-SPAN, Senate debates. <laughs> but so um, I think it is when they, and I, I, I don't know if people liked Ice Road Truckers and the other, or, or uh, Deadliest Catch. But when I was being surveyed, that's what was coming out. They said, what, what do you think of these? And I was gay. They said, this just stunk. <laughs> oh, I hated this thing. You know, and, I, and, and why? You know, give me ratings. And I would spend 20 minutes on this survey at least. And it was awful. I just, I, they finally stopped asking me. I think, you know, because um, the historians just had no interest. Um, you know, it didn't touch anything that I was, was interested in. You know, it's like, um, you know, I was interested in history. I like popular public history. I like a wide range of things. I'm very curious on a wide range of I love elements of ancient history. And I particularly love medieval Europe, mm. you know, early medieval Europe. I love the study of, um, um, in fact, I even took a whole uh, Great Courses series on Arthur. Like I think two, you know, you know, dealing with uh, a linguist historian, dealing with, you know, the uh, translations long before Mallory and long before the others of Arthur or references to an Arthurian figure, you know, um, looking back into the, you know, sixth century, seventh centuries, you know, they're, they're going back that far, the text itself. And so they're looking back further that, okay, you know, where does this, term, you know, so I, those fascinate me because they're wrestling with a, a complex historical question. But they were very academic. But even the, the less academic ones, you know, I love Ken Burns' Civil War. It has got some glaring errors in it, some glaring problems in it. It is too much based on Killer Angels, like Gettysburg. It was the movie Gettysburg. Um, and you have too much of the sentimentality. Um, you have too many of the lost causers on that one, which I, 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 which I, I have problems with. But it was a well done, balanced document, you know, overall for the time, but not bad. But um, that's an expensive piece, and you've got to know it's going to cost. Gettysburg was done, I think they were taking a risk. They had, you know, top list actors and things to kind of get it through. History Channel um, did not go that way. They said, I think they, I think because of the management at that time and currently, uh, it was basically, we need this other type of format. So the reality TV format would take over. Um, and I kept thinking, as a manager, how would you change that once you've already gone down, down that road? How would you change that? Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that you would ask me about History Channel, meaning History Channel already has a long and deep reputation. You know, it's everybody knows it's not history. <laughs> yeah. There's almost no history attached to it. It's just not there. So when, so when, you know, when their managers, you know, if they, if they ever did shift again, 
And they said, well, look, we need a, we need one stage. And wait, it's too late now, so wait. There are others that are doing that, that are taking that over. Now, I think what I did on History Channel, you know, think about it. Um, uh, Marvel, Modern Marvels was one of the big ones that they had mm. um, in the earlier 2000s. And that one was the, one of the popular go-to shows in the Modern Marvels series. That one was big. That one was big. That may have been it. And that's and that's and they, that that's a type of you know storytelling, but a storytelling on a real type thing that your engineers would like. You know the thing geek people. You know I love things, so I I I gravitated to that one because it dealt with objects. Yeah, and objects are kind of fun, um, and that that would have been good. But they you know they did not stick with formats like that. But again, they're having to fill in twenty four hours seven days a week. And I think they just found out that ice road truckers watching or uh, watching people come into a pawn shop and try and sell um, old glassware, you know, for twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, people love to be embarrassed. I guess I, I don't know why. So I think that's that that was been our joy to watch other people embarrass themselves. It's not us. Yeah. Being grateful, it's not us. Uh, <laughs> so well, I want to talk a little bit about this well, sorry about that how, how they mislead history as well okay. not just with the conspiracy but in general how they mislead history what do you what kind of misleading are you thinking of like finding Hitler for example which, oh, which, okay. is, a, which is a show I've right. probably okay. seen it where and where they suppose that yeah. he, he escaped and then John of the first of the Spain crawled through a tunnel yeah, okay. and escaped to South America. So how yeah. does history like shows yeah. with finding hit reality shows like right. Hitler yeah. misleading you in with history? Right. And what it does is that you know they kind of follow the format, they feels a little like reality TV. So they show clips of you know people reenacting these particular events that they've seen them. This is the same format back in the 70s that Sun Pictures used mm. in doing its gassy stuff. And it's the same exact thing where they would take a conspiracy. They, they, Lincoln was actually shot by somebody else besides John Wilkes Booth. And he was paid for, you know, that Stanton, when Stanton or Edwin Stanton actually paid for the assassination of Lincoln and that um, a person was, was um, murdered to fill in for Booth. So it was a, per, a murder, per, you know, so they, they would fill in all this in that he Lincoln was murdered by the government, the radical Republicans killed him. Some say that um, I got a whole series of articles on the Catholics killed him. Um, how they got that, that, that one was a real stretch. Um, this follows the same line of the conspiracy theories, but then it's because there is no ethic. There is nothing in this, in the producers within the unit within that broadcasting system there is nothing there there is no authority that says but you know this is not true mm. you see what happens between history heritage and popular history is that with history and even with public history quite often there is somebody a specialist or a couple of specialists who are going to use the word now artists fact check or they're going to say you're you know you're gonna to have to defend this one better this one. There, there's a critique i can't 
write whatever I want to write, even though it might be popular on LinkedIn or anyone else, without fellow scholars who are going to chime in and call me all sorts of nasty names. And and you know, you know, they're gonna they're gonna challenge me, but good. Even if I'm right, they're gonna challenge me. That's the nature of it. Yeah. Because I overemphasized, underemphasized with that with that one on a particular fine tooth, fine point here. So what what they had is, and I had I said this is what I had with the, with, the, with the museum, again, which shall remain nameless, is that there was, um, I was the expert, but I was not in charge, not of the whole project. So um, things would go out <coughs> over my head that were completely squirrely. Um, I had no, you know, way of changing that. And I think with the Hitch Channel, there is nobody there. There is no voice there. Nobody to challenge you when... No one to challenge. See, the whole purpose of history is that there is a check. There's a counterpoint. Um, now, it can go too far because, you know, there are no materials that there's not much counterpoint to. I mean, th there are products that we do know, for, you know, things that happen. Uh, if you're going to change it, you really need an abundance of very solid material. Then, and even that material is going to get, get drilled. For example, if um, you're going to really change the, the Kennedy report, the Warren report, you really have to have um, a trail that shows who actually did shoot Kennedy, or that um, Oswald was, was paid by the Cuban? You know, you got to show something a little more tangible. He has to be a lot clearer. Um, but can't you say he was a communist, therefore he did it? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's just too much. Yeah, you, you've got correlation without causation. And that's a lot of what we, you know, look at. We have correlation without causation. Um, like in a legal case, you have to have causation. Not that you were in the room, but you know you had the gun in the room, you know, and your finger prints around the trick, you know, a little more, yeah. something a little more, um, more, more substantial. And within the Hollywood, within any movie system, video making system, that, that even that does documentaries, unless the documentary has an overarching control. And I did one, I helped produce one, kind of um, back in Tennessee, and. We had like four professors, you know, on our group, and the scripts were actually reviewed by all of us. Mm. You know, so we look at the materials, and the producer himself, the ones that actually, you know, they actually put it, actually the filming, the director was actually very keen on this himself. So he had a lot of background, for example, in the Civil War. So he knew that people, the men wearing Civil War uniforms, would not be my age. None of them, mm. you know, they're not going to have white hair and they're not going to be chubby. Okay. Yeah. They're going to be very skinny by our standards. And so he was insisting on young, thin guys doing this. Mm. There was no 300 pound portly Confederate soldier um, allowed, you know, in this movie. Yeah. Um, that'd be a politician. You know, <laughs> you know so he was looking at those fine details. And then the all of us, we were all putting the chime and say, okay, politically, what is the you know, what is the position here? You know, what is you know, we're looking in the context. Um, so, so we were all the checks. But you see, this was being funded with money that insisted, people who funded this insisted on expertise backing it up. Yeah. 
when you have Hollywood, there is no expertise backing it up that they have to comply with. They might call on somebody. I might say, Tom, come on over here and take a look at this. But they might completely ignore me too. Um, this has happened a number of times in a lot of you know big events where you know I'm trying to, you know they're trying to tell a, a dynamic story and they, perhaps the historians they told it are not that dynamic, but they think they have enough. But the thing is, they need to take more time to absorb this material. The historians are trying to show that it is not that simple, and yet it's usually when the problems they have is because they're trying to simplify a tremendously complex narrative. And you have to at least leave the sense that there is something very complex going on here. Don't leave the people thinking, I got it all. They need to say, I need to dig into this deeper. Hmm. I need to look into um, the Cuban Revolution. I need to look into um, the history of the mob. Or I need to look into Marilyn Monroe. Um, I need to look into, you know, don't, you know, continue on with this. Yeah. Here. Um, and then, then, and then you start, you know, once you're there, you know, you're not even ready to look into the Freedom of Information Act to know what documents do you need to try and force open. And then you're into the whole other, you know, um, work there. So, you know, this is a fascinating bit of work. It's just, this is kind of neat. Um, but to do that, you've got to have funding that is regulated, that, that there's somebody instead of who said, Thou shalt make a historic, you know. Um, and most people say, I want a historically accurate dra drama of the Alamo. I say, that's, that's a big thing right now in Texas. Um, what, you know, it's not what they really want. What they want is an update dating of, um, of the John Wayne film. You know, that's yeah. what they want uh, with better costumes. They don't want to know the complexities of what were you doing in Mexico. This is Mexico. No, this is not the United States. Texas is yeah. Mexico. Um, and those are complex stories to tell. Those are very complex stories to tell. And um, they don't go over it as well. And the History Channel can't tell it. They have, you know, you try and come up with ways of telling these dynamic, you know, exciting pieces. But like I said, but, and it could be because it's you know, I think I think when you ask that question about why, I think Nazis, this conspiracy that satisfies the desire, that emotional curiosity to have something for the past, to understand the past. That's a natural curiosity. And I think that what's too much work to actually grab it, what's real. It's easier to believe a dynamic story told with pictures and drama um, and a lot of mystery than it is uh, to actually work at thinking through, okay, I always thought this, but now maybe this is the case, or perhaps these other two are the case at the same time. That yeah. is, that's our laziness. We're just simply not wired to do that. Do you think they believe it themselves or do you think they know they're just selling oh, bullshit? Wow. Oh, I think um, most producers know this, this crap, but they don't even care. I think um, there's a tremendous amount of people, as my sister-in-law, when she was doing counseling, they, they'll say anything. <laughs> just mm. say anything. They don't, they don't mind lying or not lying. It's, it's all the same to them. 
Yeah. Um, that some politicians like it, like it. Uh, just say whatever comes to their little minds. Uh, and they're not interested in truth for truth's sake. So that there's actually a, a, um, a conscience behind the work they're doing. Um, you know, it's one thing, like I said, uh, to promote, you know, I, I can I can kind of respect the lost cause confederacy because these guys are actually believe this sort of thing. You know, they're, they're firmly enmeshed in it. It's wrong, and I think I can do document it pretty well it's wrong, but they're enmeshed, and they really do believe this. It's not something that um, they made up. Hmm. They're duped, I think, um, willingly perhaps, but um, they're, they're, con- they're not conscious that it's a complete fabrication. There, um, um, and, and this is and this is something where it's dangerous. I know a lot of historians. It's probably to be an activist, political activist, and I know a lot of our colleagues of mine are activists, and it's right to do so. But it's difficult to remain somewhat objective of your own position and, and see the glaring or see the problems with our own fault. Yeah. And I and again. To tell a true story, I've got to see fault with myself or the side I always like. Now, if you talk about ancient aliens, I guess it doesn't matter. You're, you're completely, you're outside the zone of reality. It's, you know, um, there, there's no deep thinking involved. No particular need to wrestle with um, what you always thought turned out to be wrong. When you get into World War II, if you just glamorize some things, or if you say Hitler was not there, or you know, escaped, you say, "Darn that!" You know, got little, you know, wonder how many, you know, put that some more. Like, like Elvis lives, and um, you know, we we have that group too. So, what I, I mean, I'll briefly, how you feel about History Channel? But what do you think, other historians? How do you think they feel about History Channel? Do they hate oh, it as much as you do? <laughs> They will say things that are not appropriate, family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not bad. So, some of them really go ballistic. <laughs> yeah, you get some of them um, when they're, uh, particularly if it's their subject, you know, <laughs> nothing ready. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, and I'm as bad. Um, nothing rattles on the specialist in an area than to screw up their, their favorite topics. Mm. Nothing will set them off anymore. <laughs> and uh, oh gosh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Link, that's why yes, that's why the certain fights like with Lincoln get really hostile because they they have lifelong studies in this one. You know, they'll fight over uh, subtle word choices, you know, let alone content. Um, like I think I was thinking, um, what the Gelso, um, not Gelso. Oh goodness, I'm just blank here. Um, but one historian um, in a recent podcast talked about Lincoln had never changed. He did not shift position. He was always anti-slave. You know, he kind of overplayed the piece. And yeah. I've read enough Lincoln's diaries, not diaries, but his, his letters, his notes, and his commentaries about him. And enough context. And this, no, no, no one doesn't never change. And you know, I think, you know, example, you know, look at Ron, you know, Ron White's study of Lincoln, where he sees this continual growth in la- or change in language 
to more and more of a religious language. And there's there's something going on in his head at that point. You realize, okay, somebody is changing. A change, yeah. a, you know, um, that is hard for people to grasp. Um, and further back you go, it's harder it gets. I just want to add that if you want to check out our episode on Indian, Thomas Mackey was yeah. was way back in the early early days of this podcast <laughs> talking about Lincoln in episode 14. So make sure you check that out after this episode. Yeah. So you yeah, know, but, yeah, but but you're there, you know, um, but every character has has those um those moments. Um oh goodness. Oh yeah, well, um originalists, people who talk about original constitution, it, it's as you know, trying to read it as the founders said, well, there are a whole bunch of scholars, I, some I know personally, who just go off the wall on this one because they know these guys. I mean, they've read, their, they've helped make, they've helped, you know, publish their papers. Um, and these scholars have actually worked with the founders' papers live, you know, editing, you know, manuscripts uh, from Hamilton or from Washington and from Jefferson and, um, and many others. And I realized, these guys did not, they were not a unified thinking. They were not a unified, cohesive bunch. Um, they're, they're very brilliant. Some are drunken, some are scoundrels, you know, but still, you know, brilliant scoundrels are scoundrels. But, you know, you, you have this mixed bag that doesn't know where this is going to go. They don't, or they do not know where this is going to go. And you do the best you can and another, another generation has to take it on mm. you know so um when they somebody says well you know we have to a strict construction how does this go by and all the you know the all the you know early americans they go stop we, you know we know where this is going you know you're out of you're out of the line here um it tends to be a legal way of thinking uh, the historians i know especially especially early americans they'll say no they would never say that because they know too much about the context of these characters and that they are not that um, that tidy is coming up with an original intent. They had, you know, they deliberately left things vague so it was going to evolve. That was just gonna happen. You, could, you know, they, they're used to that, they understood that. And they're all lawyers, so they also understood that each generation has got to interpret and beat this together. Um, and they just kick certain issues down the road further. Someone else got to deal with that one. Historian Barbara Fields years ago, in the Ken Burns special, she's the one who said that uh, she refers to the word kick the can with slavery. That was an issue. Just, they kicked that can down the road. They could not deal with it then. There was no way they could hold it together and deal with slavery. It just, um, they couldn't, one way or the other, they could not make it. Official, they couldn't make it unofficial, they couldn't they could do it anyway. They had to just basically leave it alone yep. and let it evolve some way. Some way. Thank you so much for coming. It's yep. been a pleasure to have you back. You're always welcome oh, back yes, to this yes, podcast. Yes. Getting late, getting late. Here. And uh, <laughs> do you have anything you will wish to promote before you go on any social oh, media where people can find my, you? My job right now is getting my book, Shrines and Circuses. The manuscript finished, um, edited, so it's back to the publisher. Um, uh, this is getting a Civil War class ready. So it's, it's really, I, I, I'm looking so much forward to face-to-face -face classes. Mm. Um, I find it so much easier if I can walk, visual, verbally walk through my material than yeah. have to structure everything, hope they read it, 
the same way I wrote it, you know, kind of thing. Because yeah. I can't see their eyeballs glaze over. <laughs> you go, what? Or go, why? Go, ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> let me repeat this differently. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Oh, my name is Alan, and this has been Well.H12. We are available on Instagram under Well.H12. We are on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. If you like this episode, check out some of the previous episodes, and I will recommend checking out both of the previous episodes that Thomas Mackie was in. And uh, my, name, I'm, my name is Alan, and I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.